up here. He's going to read for us. Okay, so we're going to recap Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We're going to read together. We're going to give Gabe the mic. And uh, we'll give us... Romans 15. Then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to me. It's good, though. It's We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Lord, um, we come before you today. This morning I was, I was broken for you, Lord. I was broken for my brothers and sisters that I know are suffering. Lord, I've had friends uh, that have lost family this week. I, I know of a number of people who were broken by school, Lord, uh, didn't get the grades they needed uh, for their classes, things like that, Lord. Um, I ask that you gather us, your family, uh, with each other, Lord. Uh, bring those that are lost uh, into our fold, into our flock, Lord, under you. Uh, our body loves to be unified, but our flesh wants nothing but disunity. Lord, I ask that you, you keep us together, uh, studying in your word, growing with each other, uh, so that your glory is revealed at every corner of the earth, Lord, across all nations. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Romans chapter 15, we're going to be in verse 8 and 13. Yes, it's I'm going to come out here a little ways. I feel really far away from me. Is that alright? I promise I won't scream. That happens sometimes. You guys don't know that. You can't see it. If you're in the back row, you can't see it happening. But oftentimes, there's, there's, there's spittle. There's flying everywhere. Just be careful. Uh, no, I, I'm excited about the word today. I hope that we're awake and, and ready for it. Um, and I, I want to warn you in advance that this is going to be challenging uh, for all of us, uh, I think. Uh, especially for those of us who call ourselves uh, members of MBT. And uh, we consider ourselves to be leaders and disciples. You know, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been studying this portion uh, of, of Romans. And uh, we've been calling it... Uh, the gospel in practice. The gospel in practice. And the idea is that this portion of the letter to the Romans deals primarily with the character of the Christians in Rome. And how they're going to treat one another. And how they're going to live out what they believe in relationship with each other. And uh, we learn from the passage that there's lots of uh, things uh, for them to be contentious about. Things that are cultural. We've got Christians that are Jews, we've got Christians that are Gentiles, they come from different backgrounds, um, and we've got young believers who are new, they're weak in their faith, and we've got elders who, uh, who maybe uh, who have a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more maturity, a little bit more strength in their knowledge and understanding, and, and there's a struggle that's taking place uh, for the sake of unity, for the sake of unity. And Paul recognizes, and, and he's admo admonishing the Romans here. And he's challenging them 
Uh, and he's giving them instruction to live with the responsibility to remain unified. To practice their Christianity in such a way that they prefer one another over themselves. Okay? And he gives them a prescription for this. And he makes them, he makes them uh, uh, owners and responsible for this work. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please. And this word please here means like for prefer. Okay? You could say prefer. Not to prefer ourselves. Let every one of us please or prefer his neighbor for his good to edification. So his instructions, his first instructions to them in Romans chapter 15 is to prefer others over yourselves and bear their infirmities. If you consider yourself to be strong in faith, you ought to put other people over you. Right? You, ought, you ought to be there and prepared to take on their burdens. And, and here's the thing. Um, just like the Romans, Kaya's responsibility is to receive one another. Our responsibility is to grow together. Our responsibility is for the weak and the strong to engage each other. And, and, I, and I dare say that if we fail to do this, we are going to fail in our mission as a ministry. If we forget that our Bible studies are the hub for which we bear the infirmities of the weak, we will fail in Bible study. You know, it's, it's part of the vision of this ministry that we have Bible studies in every corner of this city. That, uh, there are, that, that we would be able to take the Word of God into communities all over, all over the metro, all over every college campus. Okay, I'm, I'm not at rest until we have uh, 10 Bible studies just at UMKC alone. I just believe that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, we have to continue to challenge ourselves in terms of how we perceive and understand what our Bible studies are. When we come together on a Sunday morning like this, people are touched with the Word of God, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But what we do in the preaching ministry is such a small part of what we do as a ministry of believers. And the Bible studies have to be a place where we practice preference, where we practice bearing the infirmities of the weak. But what I'm going to say to you this morning, that there's still more to be responsible for. There's still more to be responsible for. Our desire for unity cannot end with just preferential treatment or the abstract command to bear the infirmities of the weak. It's very abstract, isn't it? It's kind of a grand idea. We ought to, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. But, but what we're going to look at today is that things get a little bit more practical here. And things become a little bit more challenging as we continue to look at Romans chapter 15. Today's message is a call to Kaya to renew our mandate to pursue the wayward and to pray for one another. Okay, we're going to talk about this idea of pursuit, of learning to pursue those that are struggling, those that are feeling weak, that are in trials and tribulations, those who are doctrinally in need of, of teaching and truth. How do we go about pursuing the people who are in the periphery? How do we go about seeking after those who are struggling to fully understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Now some of you this morning, are that you are that person. You, you recognize, in your heart of hearts, you know that you're a person in the periphery. And I want to challenge you this morning to lean in. To trust what the Lord has begun in your life. To trust that the Lord has brought you here to this place to be taught, to be strengthened. And even in our weakness as leaders, if we're struggling to invest, that's one thing. But even the weak are responsible for leaning into Christ. And I want to challenge you this morning that it's your responsibility too. Okay, it's your responsibility to learn, it's your responsibility to grow, it's your responsibility to obey the things that you know. And we're going to challenge ourselves as a ministry, both weak and strong, to make sacrifices to engage the gospel together. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't tell. The room feels different this morning because it's, the layout's different. I don't like change a whole lot. I can't read you as easily. All right? So today's message is about pursuit, and it's going to be about prayer. Um, 
So the first question is, are we willing to pursue? This is a question for Christians. Uh, Christians who are established. Christians who consider themselves to be disciples of Christ. Are we willing to pursue? And this has got to be a personal question. Because... I think that a lot of times we have mental assent to this idea of pursuing the lost, but we very practically don't do it. We don't do it. We don't know how to do it. We don't know what it means. I want to talk about that today. And I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last few months, uh, man, we've seen... So since September of 2017, we've seen a ton of growth. Uh, we went we went from a ministry of about 65 to 70 people to really just a couple months ago we were averaging 120 people. Okay, that's awesome, man. What we've seen in this ministry in the last year has been amazing. I'm, I'm so thankful for what the Lord has done. We've seen we've seen people uh, get baptized. We've seen people get saved. We've seen people choose discipleship and, and, and choose uh, to be invested in to be mentored in God's word. We've seen a lot of fruit in this last year, but we've also seen, especially in the last couple months, a lot of people who at one moment, at one time, one time in the last year, decided that they were going to pursue the Lord. Decided that they were going to follow Christ with everything that they have. We've seen them kind of begin to slip. We've seen them go out into the periphery. And in some cases, we've seen them disappear. They've left. To return, I don't know. You know? I mean, I, as I look across this group of people, I mean, I, guys, I love, first of all, I want to just say how much I love you. And, uh, and, and some of you I know well, some of you I don't know so well, but listen, I, I've given my whole entire life, and you don't fully understand this, some of you. I've given my whole entire life for you. For this work, time that could be spent with my family, time that, that could be spent doing other things, I take my time and my extra time because I care about you, even if I don't know you very well, my greatest desire is that you would follow Jesus Christ with everything that you have. That's what my greatest desire in life is. And in this ministry, that is our heart. That's the heartbeat of this ministry and the whole entire structure of this ministry. And the heartbeat of what we do is to invest in you. And we won't always do that perfectly. But what we need to understand right now is that there is a bit of a crisis moment. I mean, there's, in the last few weeks, I've had more counseling situations than I can even count. And I've received more, what I refer to as just quite simply bad news about believers who were doing very well just a couple months ago, who are struggling now. And it's so many different issues, so many different things. I can't, I, it's, it wouldn't even be right for me to pretend to even be able to address all of these issues. And it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the point. There's no, I mean, to be honest with you, there's no excuse for just not pursuing the Lord. There's no excuse. But nonetheless, we've got weaker brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. And some of us have been there before. Some of us can think back to a time where we were that person in the periphery and someone invested in us and someone pursued us and, and drew us in. And we've got testimonies like that. But we have seen younger brothers and sisters begin to disappear. People who've repented of their repentance. And it's painful. And it's discouraging. It's discouraging to see Satan at work, but we have to we have a choice to make as a ministry. This is our choice. We either are going to choose to pursue or not. And listen, we're talking about not just people that are in Kai. We're talking about your family members and friends too who have never stepped foot in Kai. We're talking about the people in your lives who profess to know Christ or, or maybe don't know Christ at all. What are we willing to do and what are we willing to sacrifice in order to engage them with the gospel? How precious is God's word to us? And what will we be willing to give up to make sure that it gets invested in people? It's not easy. 
And especially as a young person, when you see people that you love turn away from the Lord, it can be particularly discouraging because the context of it is new. It's particularly difficult. You know, we're a ministry that we're proudly declare that ministry runs on the rails of relationships. We pride ourselves in that. And we live that. I think overall, as a ministry, we desire to invest relationship into other people. But the truth is that we don't love people, if we don't love people enough to pursue them when they stumble, then we're going to fail as a ministry. If we don't love people enough that when they're struggling or when they disappear, or they're gone for two weeks and we don't see their face, or we catch wind that there's, there's something that they're struggling with, if we don't choose to pursue them, then we are not a ministry that runs on the rails of relationships. This is what Christians do. They shepherd one another. That's what they do. And so we learned last week that, that Christ models pursuit for us by first denying self. By first denying self. Look at Romans 15, verse 3. For even Christ pleased, Right? Or prefer, right? Not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. So it begins with self-denial, and we recognize that. We have to first recognize that our stuff isn't as important as other people's stuff. We've got to begin there. Self-denial is the beginning of pursuit. We have to set something else aside. We have to put our time our resources aside for the sake of other people, it has to begin there. We have to put people over ourselves, and we recognize that. But still, that's just conceptual. Still, that's just an idea. What does that mean practically? Well, let's look at verse 8, where Paul elaborates further this idea by reminding us of how Christ pursued both Jew and Gentile. Are you ready? Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. So first of all, we recognize here that Jesus Christ came into this world to fulfill the promises that he extended in the Old Testament to the Jewish people. That Christ left his heavenly throne to come into this world that he might fulfill the promises there were for the Jewish people. And he came into this world and he suffered for their sake. That he might meet his end of the bargain. Look at verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and say unto thy name. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and lie him. All ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, say There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. So he didn't just come for the Jews. He also came to fulfill his promises to the Gentile people. Now this is my point to you. Christ's pursuit was a divine plan. His pursuit was a divine plan. Plan. Christ's pursuit was a promise that existed way before his birth, way before his resurrection. His pursuit was planned and intentional. You see what I'm getting at there? Christ was intentional about his plan to pursue, it was always in his heart. And Jesus took the burdens, he took the infirmities, the reproaches of the lost. He took those things personally. Jesus Christ's pursuit of the Jews, of the Gentiles, of us, did not end with just preferential treatment. It was not just a concept for him. It was not just an idea. It was not just a plan. He preferred us all the way to the cross. He preferred us all the way to the most sacrificial thing a person can do, and that's to give his life for those who were weak 
those who were struggling, those with infirmities. The idea of preferential treatment didn't just end with that. Just a concept. Just an idea that could be easily spoken of. He took it to the cross. He empathized so deeply with mankind that he sacrificed himself for our sake. So for us, here's a question for you. Here's a thought for you. So often, our pursuit of one another is nothing more than a concept. Our pursuit of one another is nothing more than acts of duty. Our pursuit of one another is so often relegated to moments of convenience. Think about that for a moment. Think about how often your pursuit of unity is determined by whether or not it's convenient for you in that moment. One, I am, I'm available, so I guess so. I've got the day off, so yeah, I guess so. So let's for a moment look at our key point number one. Christ's pattern of pursuit must become our practice of pursuit. If we're talking about the gospel in practice, then Christ's pattern of pursuit for the weaker brethren, for the lost, must become our practice of pursuit. Let's look at a few examples of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How many of us joy in pursuing and suffering for the sake of other people. How many of us consider it a joy when we get a phone call at midnight with someone crying on the, on the other end of the phone? How many of us consider it a joy when for the third or fourth or fifth time you're sitting down with that same person counseling them over the same issues? How many of us consider it a joy when we have opportunity to bear the infirmities of the weak. Not very many of us have that mindset. We, we consider it to be burdensome to the point of annoyance. And that mindset will absolutely inhibit the work that Jesus Christ wants to do in Kaya. We have to be very careful to pattern our lives after Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hasn't he done that? Listen, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. How many of us are willing to enter in to other people's losses? How many of us are willing to do that? Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. He gave of himself. He gave of himself. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. See, this was this was physical for him. This was not just an idea. This was not just a plan. This was physical. This was an embodiment. He took this on. It was his only purpose. Was to redeem us. Was to seek us. To pursue us. That was his heart. And it became action. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins. 
the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ's preference for us has action. And we saw this verse in main service, so I don't know if you were paying any attention, but Sam was preaching and he shared for us Luke chapter 4, verse 17 uh, to 18. It says that he was sent to heal the brokenhearted. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted. Now many of us in this room are the brokenhearted. And for you, I'm preaching that we would have the heart to seek you and meet you in that place of brokenness. But for those of us who are in a place of strength, that you would have a heart to pursue. See, He pursued us for His glory. He pursued us for His purpose. He pursued us for the sake of our collective unity. And the question is, is this our heart as well? So here's the call. Here's the call. I am wondering what attacks you are seeing in the people's lives in your small groups. What are you seeing in your small This is a moment of analysis. In your small groups, and the people that you say that you love, the people that you're taking your time to invest in, where are you seeing struggle? Where are you seeing weakness? And I want to ask you this morning, where are the infirmities in your ministry, and how are you responding? So let's go to the, let's go to the next slide. This is super important. Where differences in your, in your ministry to people exist. Okay? Like, let's think back about Romans. Let's think about Romans for a minute. Where there's cultural difference. Right? Where there's differences in conviction. Where there's differences in your ministry and in your work. Are you pursuing forbearance? Like, are you putting us with a godly heart attitude, with people's weakness, are you forbearing them for the sake of unity? Are you doing that? In the lives of the people, in your small groups, and in your ministry, the people that you come in contact with, the people that you consider to be in your circle, in your proximity. Where differences exist, are you pursuing forbearance? This, like, let's, let's not make light of this. This is very easy. A lot of us think that we're so spiritual that when differences culturally between us exist, we like to ignore that. We like to pretend that it's easy for us. And it isn't always. People are different. Personalities clash. And it's maturity that says, I'm willing to forbear my brother and sister in Christ. And that, that they might be strengthened. So here's the other question. Where divisions exist... Are you pursuing unity? You know what? For, I'm not for a moment going to pretend that there aren't divisions in this ministry, even right now. People, uh, people in this ministry that are at odds with each other over silly little things. Where divisions exist, are you pursuing unity? Because that's what Christ was doing, you understand? He was pursuing unity. So where those divisions exist, are you, as the more mature, are you pursuing to divide, to take that division and bridge that gap and create unity where there isn't currently unity? Some people need to apologize today. Some people need to extend love in a relationship where there's maybe natural division that's taking place. Maybe it's nothing that was ever said or done, but you just aren't close to that person in your small group. Where divisions exist, are you pursuing unity? Where lies exist, where lies exist. And what I mean by that is maybe there's people in your small group that are struggling with doctrinal inconsistency. You know that exists, right? Like in our ministry, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of different things. And the question is, are we encouraging people to believe the, the Word of God plainly? Are we sitting down with them? Are we taking time with them? Are the weaker brothers and sisters in Christ willing to sit down and do that? Just open the Bible and talk about it plainly. What does it say? Can we do that together? Can we do that? 
Can we extend ourselves? Can we sacrifice of our time? Can we go to the coffee shop and sit down with someone? Can we make time in our lives that we might take those who are struggling with lies or, 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 or heresies and we sit down with them and we pursue truth together? Can we do that? Where weakness exists, are you pursuing strength? Are you making your strength someone else's? So here's the call this morning. And really, this is as we close down Romans, we're getting close to the end, folks. We might have one more message, to be honest with you. The heartbeat of the end of this book is that the, the strong sacrifice of themselves to pursue those who need truth and that we extend to them strength where there's weakness. That's the heartbeat of the end of this book. Now pursuit is only half of the equation. Pursuing the hearts of, of the weaker brethren is vain, is vain, without the transforming power of prayer. And we're going to talk about prayer here for a minute. And I, and I honestly think, and let me, let, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Can I be honest with you? For those of you who are visitors, I want to apologize even right now, because today is kind of a family day, and I'm just kind of addressing the needs that our family, that this ministry, just things that we really need to hear from Romans. And so, bear with me, all right? But uh, one of the greatest weaknesses in our ministry has to be prayer. It has to be our prayer life. And I hate to say that. Because some of that falls on me as the leader of this ministry. Because a lot of us, you know what we do is we go to Tuesday night prayer and we think that that's our prayer life. And we don't say it. We don't say it like that. But in the back of our mind, our subconscious that's rolling around is that we make time for prayer on Tuesday night and so we have a prayer life. And the truth is... We have no prayer closet. We, don't have, we have no secret place where we go to the Lord. We don't take time to enter into the throne room of Jesus Christ and, and beseech Him and beg of Him that He work in our ministry. And guys, this is such a flaw. This is such a flaw in our ministry that I fear that it will be a failure for us. That one of the most powerful things that we have to leverage in our ministry that we've neglected so greatly that will cost us, it'll cost us greatly. We have to learn to be people of prayer. So here's my question for you this morning is what if Kaya took the command to pray as seriously as we took the command to study? Hmm? What if Kaya took the command to pray as seriously as we took the command to study? You know, uh, Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Uh, it's called 1 Timothy, right? He writes this letter, and there's this introduction in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, and then you get to the meat of the letter, is in the second chapter. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I exhort therefore that, first of all, not second of all, not third of all, not in your spare time. The first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. What is the matter with us that we do not prioritize the work of prayer? What is the matter with us that we don't recognize that it's the prayer of the saints that gets work done? And you know, for some of us, we can look around the room and we can say a couple things to ourselves. We can say that there are some people that are here that are not here in this room because we have failed to pray for them. I'm sorry, that's an audacious statement. And I'm not saying it to conflict with people's free will. People get to make decisions. If they want to believe nonsense, they can. But I'm telling you, and I'm stepping out on a limb. And I'm looking at the principle of prayer in Scripture. I'm saying to you that there are some people that are not here this morning because we have failed to pray for them. And I will also say that there are some people that will return because we have prayed for them. There are those that are wayward today that are not sitting here in the pew. I'm looking directly at the seats 
where people once sat just two months ago. And because we pray for them, God will do a work in their hearts. That through the work of pursuit and prayer, we will see something done in their lives. And they'll return. I believe that. But we have to prioritize. It has to be first of all. Jump down to verse 8 in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Or I mean, in verse 8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Not just in that Tuesday night prayer meeting, but everywhere. And the important thing here is without wrath and doubting. Because many of us go to, before God, and we have doubts in our heart before we even lift up the prayers to Christ. I had a great conversation with Eric yesterday about prayer. As brief as it was, it was very impactful for me. And one of the things that I recognize that a lot of us, we, we function in prayer. We function in prayer as an exercise. Have you ever seen that guy in the gym that exercises, and you're just thinking to yourself, he's only here to say that he's exercising? Like he's over there with like the 10 pound weights and you're just like. That's what he looks like. You know, like the guy that makes his hips apart of everything. Those guys are usually like 60. Yeah. Or like the guy that goes to the gym and clothes like this. And he's on the treadmill. Just sweating in his street clothes. Just like. You know what I mean? And, and the exercise uh, is it's weak. It's weak. Uh, because because they don't go in with the, the right mindset, with the right intention. And you know what? When we pray, what we have to recognize is that prayer is a work. And we're not, our heart isn't always there. And we're not always ready when we begin. But by the time we finish prayer, if we're not hurting and burning in the presence of God, there's something to matter. There's something missing. If we're still holding on to doubt by the time we finish praying... But we haven't gotten we haven't gotten God's will in that interaction. You understand? We should never walk away from prayer with doubts in our heart. But we do. But we do. And we don't even think about it. You know why? Because prayer isn't that important to us. That's a bit. So in verses 13 through 14, jumping back to Romans chapter 15, verses 13 through 14, what happens here is Paul prays a prayer for, for the Romans, on behalf of the Romans. That the Lord would have His way with the Roman churches. Specifically, that they would yield themselves to God and be changed from the inside out. So like Paul, Kaya must be praying for one another. Just like Paul models for us in Romans. We have to be making prayers for one another that we might be changed from the inside out. Isn't that the fix to the problems, right? Isn't that the fix for those that are weaker, those that are struggling? The fix is that they need to be changed from the inside out, and then everything will be different after that. But we can't fail to do the work of praying. So look at verse 13. Now the God of hope. Now the God of hope. Now, you know the titles for God are of the utmost importance in Scripture. When we see God take on, we see the, a reference to God take on a specific title, we have to recognize that this is our opportunity for us to see a character quality of Him that we've never seen before. Yeah? We've got to take note of that. You know, in, in verse 5 of Romans chapter 15, Paul references God as the God of patience and consolation. Remember that? He's the God of patience and consolation. In verse 9, He's the God of mercy. He's the God of mercy. Now in verse 13, He's the God of hope. Why? Why hope? Why, why hope here? Because in this prayer, it's important that we might have faith and expectancy in our prayers that lives would be transformed. It's important for us to acknowledge that God is a God of hope. We need to invoke that name. Because we believe that even in the worst circumstances, that there's still hope. That for those that are the most wayward, the ones that we haven't seen for a couple months, the ones that we know are struggling in sin, struggling with addictions, struggling with depression, that there's still hope that they might be transformed. So we invoke the God of hope in our prayer life. 
So Paul, Paul's prayer here does that. He acknowledges that God is one who takes the worst situations and makes them right. When circumstances seem impossible and people we love are running from Christ, we can pray to the God of hope. Now what do we pray? If we're to pray as Paul, if we're to look at this model, can the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. It says, now the God of hope fill you. Fill you. So the specific prayer request is that the church be filled with godly character. Okay, now hold on. Are you here? Are you, are you with me? Because I recognize this. You just, you just got a good point and you're sitting with it. Brandon was yelling and I, I got that point. That was good. And so now the tone has changed. And this is a part where you're going to check out and you're going to reflect or whatever. Okay, don't lose me. Okay, don't lose me. The prayer here is that the church would have the godly character. And that they would be filled with godly character. Now here's the deal. The word fill here does not imply that the believers in the church in Rome need any more of the Holy Spirit. For every Christian receives all of the spirits indwelling at the moment of salvation. We understand that, right? The, the prayer is that they would get more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells them and sits on the throne of their heart. Okay? God dwells in Christians. See, this filling is a filling of God's uh, 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 of, of control. That's what filling means. See, filling is God's way of saying, I control you. I'm controlling your life. The more of yourself that you relent control of, the more of your life can be filled with godly character. And that godly character is bestowed upon you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, first of all, verse 22 and the beginning of 23 espouse what godly character is. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God lived out in our lives. Does that make sense to everyone? Now, it also gives us the key to getting godly character. It's the same as what we see in Romans 15. Verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. In other words, filling means Yielding your life. Filling and the controlling of God in your life means you have to yield. You have to die to self. You have to make room for the Spirit to work. Key point number two. A yielded person is a person prepared to be endowed with the character of God. This is what we want. we want. We want yielded people. This is our desire. We want people who are able to be filled. A yielded person is a person who is prepared to be endowed with the character qualities of God Himself. And in this case, and in this case, that looks like joy and peace. It looks like hope. It looks like power. It looks like goodness. It looks like being filled with knowledge. And it looks like admonishing one another. See, Kaya is in need to be filled with godly people with godly character. That's what we need. We are in need of people yielded to the Spirit, controlled by His holy leading. And that's what we have to be praying for. Listen, a lot of us have a, 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 an Andrew list. Going? <laughs> Isn't evangelism great? Isn't salvation just so amazing? It's such an amazing thing. And we have such a privilege that we might pray for those that are lost. But do your prayers extend to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are babies, who are younger, who are growing, who are in need? 
What does your prayer life look like as it concerns the godly character of one another? I mean, how much do you love each other? Do you love each other enough to think? To think about others' sanctification on a daily basis? And this is like super practical. I'm sorry if that's not... If that removed the inspiration this morning, I apologize. But where are your thoughts at? Do you think and consider other people's sanctification, other people's yielding? Do you think about those things? Is your prayer life about that? Okay, look, let's look for a moment here in 13 and 14. We're, we're closing in here, okay? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And, and I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So these are specific prayers. We don't have time to cover this. I broke all this down, but I don't have time to cover this incredibly, like, as much as I'd like. Okay, but listen. What is joy? We're going to do this for just a second. What is joy? That we might want that and desire that in prayer for one another. Prayer is, uh, joy is the state of consistent satisfaction in Christ. Joy is the state of consistent satisfaction in Christ. You know, so much of our immaturities in Kaya, or just in Christianity in general, would be cured if we would simply find our satisfaction in Christ alone. So when we think about the younger brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are struggling, are we, are we praying specifically that they might find their joy not in worldly pursuits, right? But they would find their joy and their satisfaction in Christ alone. Who is gone this morning because of those false pursuits? Yeah? He prays that they would have peace in believing. What does that mean? Well, it means that they would have contentment and rest in the midst of trusting God. You know, a lot of people um, struggle because they have something, they have a trial in their life, and they're struggling to have peace in, midst, in their midst of believing. Like they tried the believing thing, and it didn't work. And they started to struggle in their heart, and they started to struggle with whether or not they actually believed God. And they slowly drifted away. See, one of the things that we need to pray is that people would have peace and rest in the midst of trial, in the midst of their believing and trusting in God, that they might not find themselves in that slippery slope of falling away. We must be praying that people in our ministry would rest in their believing. And sometimes believing means patience. Sometimes believing means believing about something for a really long time. Sometimes people suffer things for years. And in the midst of those years, they have to have peace in their believing. Are we praying that for one another? We need to pray that we would abound in hope, that the God of hope would give us hope. See, hope is so needful in the life of the believer because hope chooses to trust God. That God is always at work and is never failing. God is always at work and He is never failing. Ever, 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 ever. Hope gives us the ability to expect good even in the worst circumstances. You can be foolish about hope. When everybody else around you says there's no hope, you can be stupid about it. You know what I mean? You know, who in here needs hope? All of us do. And all, you know, there's so many of us in so many different places in our Christianity. I mean, we got folks that just accepted Jesus Christ. We got folks that just got baptized. We got folks who just started a discipleship relationship. And there's so many new things in their lives. And, and all of us are struggling. No matter where you're at in your walk, you're going to struggle at some point. And other people's strength is going to meet you in your weakness. And their strength is going to become your strength. You know what? You have to choose hope. People need hope. You know, hope in God is the antidote for skepticism and a tendency to wander away. People who don't have hope, of course they wander. Of course they go looking for hopefulness in something else. 
That should be of no surprise. So part of our prayer life for one another should be that we would abound in hope. What else? That we be full of goodness. Full of goodness. That our hearts and lives would be upright before the Lord. That we would abandon our carnality and live lives of purity and kindness towards one another. And there's some of the people that are here today because they've chosen a path of carnality. They're not here. They're not. The seats are empty because instead of choosing to, to be good and rest in the goodness of God, they've chosen to follow after something else. So we have to pray for one another that we would be full of goodness. We need to be filled with all knowledge. Growing in maturity. Growing in God's Word. You know, I, I've run into this a lot, but there's a lot of people who've begun discipleship who are, or, or who have spoken or espoused that they want to be disciples, but have retracted those statements or have struggled to commit. They've struggled to commit. You know why? Because it's hard. And there are other things. There's other things in their mind that are worth pursuing. And the truth is, we need to be praying for one another that we would be filled with all knowledge. And what that means is that we would learn God's Word. So we need to be praying for one another, for the weaker brethren, for those with infirmities, the ones that are struggling, and for, for every person in this room, that we would be filled with all knowledge because that knowledge is the beginning of our wisdom. It's the beginning of our strength. That's what we need. And lastly, he prays that they would be able to admonish one another. And very practically, you know, the word not admonish means to warn. But very practically, what this means is that, that they would be able to counsel one another. That they would be able to counsel one another. That they would have such maturity. That, these, that the church in Rome would have such maturity. That they would be able to counsel one another and strengthen each other in that way. And in this ministry, Kyle, we need the same thing. We need the same thing. We need believers that have the capacity to counsel one another with the wisdom of God's Word. So here's my call to you guys. We are going to see the hearts of the weak, uh, weak strengthen. Strengthen and, and edify. If we are going to see the wicked repent, if we are going to see the, the, the sustained working of God in our ministry, what I mean by that is we've seen God moving. You understand? We've seen God moving. We chose to evangelize. We chose to seek the lost. We chose to open our Bible studies up. We chose to invite them in. We chose to go to the weak. We chose to go to the byways to look for those who were struggling and to find the weak and to draw them in. And we've seen them come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And we brought them in. And if we want to see that work sustained to their sanctification, then prayer will absolutely have to be a work that we devote ourselves to. And we will see a direct correspondence between their growth and our growth and our maturity in our prayers. So we're going to meet this Tuesday in the west, west Balcony, prayer after prayer. And everyone who recognizes their need is invited to come and pray. And we will be praying specifically for those that are lost and wayward. That's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to renew our attention. In these summer months, we're going to renew our attention to prayer and praying for the lost so that we are ready and prepared to disciple all those who are struggling. And in, when the next school year comes... We will be ready. And we will go from strength to strength. But we've got to be praying for it. We've got to be praying for it. We've got to be devoted to that work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3.11 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. This is Paul making a, rest, uh, a request to the church in Thessalonica. And this is what the, uh, the request looks like. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Listen. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Key point three. Our prayers promote the free course of the Lord in the lives of the saints. 
It's very simple. I don't know, and, and the thing is, you know, you look at prayer in Scripture, and there's so much about it. It's inspiring and crazy, and it's hard to believe. Man, prayer is so, for us is so, it's not as concrete as studying. You know? It doesn't seem as concrete as, as comparing Scripture to Scripture. Dividing God's Word. You know, there's rules and there's a system for that, you know? But we see prayer made in so many different types of ways. We see supplications and intercessions and made without ceasing. And what does that mean? In many ways, prayer becomes abstract. And you know what? The truth is, God wants us just to be full of faith. That's what prayer is about. Going to Him in belief. Why? Because our prayers promote the free course of the Lord in the lives of the saints. And I don't know how to explain it much more than that. I've, been, I've studied it for half my life. I've been in, in, in all kinds of prayer settings. I've been in, I've been in corporate prayer settings. I've been in one-on-one on one prayer settings. I've, I've spent my time praying, sometimes for minutes, sometimes for hours. I've, I've done those things, and I can tell you this. I just see prayer working, and I don't know how to explain it. I know that when my heart aligns itself with the will of God in prayer, things happen. And I don't know how to explain it. I just know that when we pray, it promotes the free course of the Lord in the lives of the saints. And if we want God to have His way in this ministry, we've got to be about two things. We have to be about pursuit, and we have to be about prayer. And many of you, when you're saying, you know, we're having this message, and you're hearing this, and you're saying in your heart, yes, I am convicted, and yes. And many of you are saying, I'm too weak to say yes. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, for you, for you, I say be patient. Let us help you go from, from strength to strength, to grow. Help us. Help us to help you. But for those of you who recognize that you're a leader in this ministry, it is time to redevote ourselves to preferring one another, to bearing the infirmities of the weak, to pursue and to pray. Don't grow lax. There are people who are hurting, and there's work to be done. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. If you need to deal with something this morning, please do so. Don't leave this morning. If you know there's something you need to work through, Find someone to pray with. You understand? If there's unity that needs to be fixed, okay, if there's something that needs to be done, if you need to confess something, let's do that work right now. Worship team, you can come up. We have the Father Lord. I love you and I, I trust you. I trust you, uh, God, that our work isn't in vain. Um, Lord, many of us in this room can honestly say that we've given our lives to follow you. And in our ignorance, so many times, we misprioritize the work that you've given us. And we spend hours focused on things that, that are actually just a distraction from the real world. And so Lord, I pray that you teach us to escape our comforts and the convenience of duty, the convenience of ministry sometimes. And Lord, that we would put ourselves in uncomfortable situations and that we'd be willing to leave the 99 to pursue the one. Sometimes our work requires that, and it's uncomfortable, and it is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for everyone involved. It's a sacrifice for the 99, it's a sacrifice for the shepherd, who so we would have a heart to go and to pursue the one person who's hiding, the one person who's lost, the one person who's wayward. Instill that heart of Jesus Christ in us, that there's nothing, there's nothing that, that's so precious that should be allowed to inhibit our pursuit of people who need the gospel. And God, teach us to pray. On behalf of Kaya, I confess, we don't know how. Lord, renew our hearts and our devotion to going to you and seeking you, that we would be burdened in prayer, that our hearts would desire more than anything to find your will in the midst of prayer. That all kinds of prayers would, would leave our lips 
that would come from our hearts. And Lord, that we would burn in our devotion to you, and we would hurt in our devotion to people. We want to see people the way that Jesus Christ did when he hung on a cross and he suffered on our behalf. That's the heart that we want. And there's only one way to get there. It's by yielding. So help us, Lord. We ask this in your son's name.
like a... I wonder if just That's uh...